Welcome to the Clinical Podcast Series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. The topic for this episode is educational intervention to adopt selective laser trabeculoplasty as first-line glaucoma treatment. I'd like to thank our host, Dr. Miele Bruchek, our topical expert, Dr. Andrew Rickson, and our topical editor, Dr. Kat Hogan. And now I'd like to begin today's broadcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Miele Bruchek, and welcome to this episode of the American Academy of Optometry Foundation podcast series. Today, I'm joined with Drew Rickson. Dr. Rickson, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, hey, Mila. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, I'm in Memphis right now. I work at the Memphis VA full time and I'm also uh, part time faculty over at uh, Southern College of Optometry. Um, I recently finished up my glaucoma diplomate through the American Academy of Optometry and I'm involved in residency and um, you know, externship uh, just education at the VA and, and over at school with students. That's about it with me. I was going to say it's part of the reason why you are perfectly positioned to comment on this paper. And really, we're looking at a paper published in the European Journal of Ophthalmology entitled Educational Intervention to Adopt Selective Laser Trabeculoplasty, or what we commonly refer to as SLT, as first-line glaucoma treatment, randomized controlled trial, educational intervention on SLT. So I guess, you know, Drew, the first question, jump right into it. You know, why is this topic of this paper, why is it important to us as optometry? Yeah, I think, you know, SLT has been a real hot topic uh, recently, ever since Light, since Light published back in 2019. And, you know, as primary eye care providers, we're really the gatekeepers in glaucoma care. And as you look at scope expansion, we're not only the gatekeepers, but we're also the primary providers in a lot of cases of SLT. So, you know, we're perfectly positioned to make a lot of decisions in concert with our patients on how to actually intervene in glaucoma. So, yeah, this is absolutely an optometric article. I think a great selection. So what's what's some of the key findings um, in the article and how how do you really kind of foresee them helping us in clinical care? Yeah, I think the findings are somewhat humbling because I think on a day to day basis, I think sometimes we think we're doing a great job intervening educationally with our patients, especially mostly verbally. And what this found was that changing how we're actually presenting information to our patients may actually allow them to make more informed decisions, um, especially using they use a PowerPoint format and they use a video format. So they took patients who may have had preconceived notions about what laser trabeculoplasty was and change those preconceived notions by educating them. Uh, I think that's really important. I think that we oftentimes kind of presume a certain level of healthcare literacy in our patients, and then we think we're changing that healthcare literacy with whatever script we may have, and maybe our script isn't as good as we think it could be. And so I think this is a really good take home that we can probably do better, and we can influence change and change patients' attitudes to get them into a situation that might be beneficial to both them and to us. Yeah, Drew, I, I, the, the, the article was humbling. Um, in particular, the findings, you do question, and I read the article yesterday, and today I walked into clinical practice, and you almost start re-questioning the way you explain everything. 
because you realize that there's a lot of things that we take for granted. Even the terms glaucoma and cataracts, we know that most of our patients tell us that they have a family history of glaucoma because they remember one of their parents having uh, for glaucoma and them seeing a lot better. And we know that that's a cataract surgery. So there's a, there's, there's misperceptions about the words here. I guess, you know, this leads to the next question and the thing that I've been wanting to ask you about this. Are there any key messages from this paper that your patients even soon they care about? I mean, how is it relevant to them in particular? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the relevance is just the fact that they may not know necessarily what's going on. And in order to provide better care, you need to kind of educate them. The relevance across the board is that once you actually go through the educational format that they express, and there's a YouTube video that's embedded in there that I've, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at. It's awesome. It's like three minutes. It's quick hitting. Um, but it shows, again, that they actually will change their perceptions once they're informed. So the, the take-home message for the patient is that they also need to be open once they're educated differently and informed differently uh, to, you know, an interventional mindset. And if we're not presenting that, it's not relevant to them because we're also failing in that avenue. Drew, this is, you know, when you're dealing with glaucoma in particular, sometimes for some of these patients, they're asymptomatic of the condition. If you're treating something that they don't under, even understand at the beginning that, that, that they have this, all they know is their pressure is too high for their eyes. How important do you think these findings are when you apply it to things that patients may be symptomatic of? Going to even refractive errors or dry eye or other things or facets within eye care that we're treating and dealing with. And how important do you think these findings are to these other aspects of optometry and eye care? Yeah, I think the findings can be universally applied that we need to do better as far as how we're informing patients, especially in the glaucoma world, because as you touched on, it's asymptomatic for a lot of patients. A lot of the literature that kind of teaches patients what they're supposed to see is inaccurate, at least with, you know, dry and other more symptomatic diseases. You think you at least have some foothold to work off of with them, but it just shows again that the verbal, what they found is they actually found that just verbal education was insufficient and they really wanted to use essentially like props. Like, I mean, I think we've all worked with eye imaginations and things of that nature. I usually will try to throw something up on the internet. Think of our conversations when we talk about floaters. Do we really honestly think we're doing a proficient job and the patient understands? Like in our mind, it's like, wow, I'm doing a great job describing. It's like, no, you're not. There's no way. So you got to throw something up, give them a visual. And so for me, what I did was a couple of years ago, I adapted an actual glaucoma education slide that I put together, uh, but it was just for basic glaucoma education and it didn't do glaucoma surgery education. So I need to adapt. And I think we can adapt a lot of ways on a lot of different you know, individual diseases we deal with that are chronic diseases. Because there's so many similarities with dry and glaucoma uh, as you touched on. So I think there's universal application that our education could be better and different forms of education absolutely work uh, and are vetted in this study. There may be benefits too, Drew. There may be built-in efficiencies to us actually letting things that educate our patients better than we think we do do those tasks. Yeah. Listen, I, I want to thank you for being on. This was a really interesting topic. And uh, a lot of times we delve into like very kind of detailed clinical stuff. But this was taking a step back and really looking at the patient perspective and helping them understand these things better. So Absolutely. I thank you for your time.
Hey, thank you for your time and just a great selection of the article by Dr. Hogan, too. So, hey, thanks. Have a great day, man. And uh, thank you all for joining us on this episode of the American Academy of Optometry Foundation podcast. And a special thanks to CooperVision for their educational grant to make it all happen. Thank you.